I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church because we're taught the truth and we love people. I love my church because everyone is designed to serve, even in junior high ministry. I love my church because this is my home. I love my church because I've learned about God's grace towards me and how to extend it to others. I love my church because we are better together. I love my church because we care enough about people to tell them the truth, whether or not it's popular. I love my church because marriage mentoring saved our marriage. I love my church because my whole family is here. I love my church. <laughs> I love my church because I'm able to go to summer and winter camp. I love my church because it offers an opportunity for my children and myself to grow our relationship with God deeper. I love my church because of the teachers that teach me. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church. I love my church because of the fun activities. I love my church because generous people transform the world. I love my church because it feels like my family. I love my church. I love my church. We love our church. <laughs> Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho. I thank you for your uh, birthday greetings. Got a big package from Arco this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As well as our friends at First Baptist Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study. I love my church. We're looking at six different ways. We're in part four. We have two more yet to go. Six different ways that the local church will change your life uh, six different ways that you will be blessed and God will work in your life through the local church. And the first one was as a context for lifelong friendships. Uh, part two was it helps us discover a purpose for our life. Part three, Pastor Eric last week did that great message on it gives us an identity. And the fourth reason why I love my church is the church enlists us in the greatest movement in world history. It's the largest movement in world history. It's the fastest growing movement in world history. It's the most pervasive. It's the most widespread in every nook and cranny of the world and almost every ethnic group and almost every linguistic language group. The church is all around the world. We celebrate today World Communion Sunday. And there are Christ followers all around the globe today that especially share communion today as a reminder that we are connected with believers all around the world, largest, fastest growing, most widespread. You can see that just within our own church family. At 11.11, right after this service is over, the International Fellowship is going to meet in the A building on the north end of our campus. And do you know that just in that International Fellowship, uh, there are 20 different nations represented? 20 different nations represented in, in that group. We now have uh, Bible studies or worship services in four different languages, obviously English and Spanish and also Arabic. There's an Arabic uh, Bible study uh, that meets on Wednesday nights. And then Karen Fellowship, which is the language of Burma. And speaking of Burma, this is where my dad really got on fire for the global church. Here's a picture of my dad. This is probably from 1933. And he went as a, a soldier in World War II. He was stationed in Burma. And something that just changed his heart was he was in Burma. He'd tell me the story that he'd go from village to village there in Burma. And he said it was unbelievable how you could literally see and feel and sense in every possible way which villages the missionaries had been to and which uh, villages the missionaries had not yet gotten to. 
And he said, Glenn, it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, and you come to one village, and it would be, there'd be this fear and superstition and no kids playing in the streets, and it'd be kind of dirty and non-prosperous, and it'd just be this sadness and this kind of cloud over it. And he said, just people gripped in superstition, superstition and, and fear and, and depression. And then you go to the next village, and there'd be kids playing in the streets, and, and it would be prosperous, it'd be clean, and, and the people would be like happy and joyful. And he says you could literally just see the difference between uh, darkness and light as you went from village to village. And he would ask the question, what's the difference between the villages? And they said the missionaries have not yet gotten to this one, but they've already gotten to this one. The light of the gospel has gotten to this one. It has not gotten to that one. Now that makes us uncomfortable sometimes. It sounds like colonialism or it sounds like Christian arrogance or something like that. But I'm telling you, research backs this up. I just read an article yesterday, a a crazy article by a sociologist. He was not a Christian. He actually did the study on missions to show how harmful missions were. That's what he wanted to find out because he was like an atheist and he didn't want it to be true. And he thought the whole idea of missionaries going out and talking about Jesus in other countries, he thought that was repulsive to him. He thought it was really arrogant, repulsive. He didn't like the idea. But when he did his research, he was astounded at what he found. He said it was unbelievable, the force for good, that Christianity had been in the world. He said it was unbelievable the difference it made. He even had this statement that I love this quote. He said, do you want to have a thriving democracy in the 21st century? Do you, do you want that? He said the best way to accomplish it is to have a time machine and go back to the 1800s and have missionaries in that country. He said that is the great determiner as to whether you have a thriving, prosperous democracy today or whether you do not have that today was whether the missionaries went there in the 1800s or, or whether uh, they had not. And he, said, and he said it wasn't just any missionaries. This is interesting. It was Protestant conversionary mission, missionaries. Now, what he meant by that is it wasn't just missionaries that went to do good. You know, today there's a real temptation to say, oh, don't bring the gospel into play. Just do good to people. He said it wasn't those that made a difference. He said when they went not only doing good, but as they did good, tried to lead them to a relationship with Jesus Christ, those are the countries that were blessed and changed the most. And it just was another testament to the, to the light of this. And it just made an impact on my dad so much, though. He was a businessman, uh, president of a lumber company, and he spent his life raising money for missions. Probably raised a couple million dollars in the 60s and 70s. And it, and it so made an impact on him that he just devoted his life to this cause that was bigger than him because he realized that he was enlisted in the greatest movement uh, in, in, in world history. Now, where did that, where did that all, all start? It all started in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. Would you just say just that phrase with me out loud together? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, Then he commissioned us to be light bearers. He challenged us to take that light uh, into the world. He said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, you are the light of the world. Would you say that phrase out loud with me together? You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. 
and said they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the Bible says that Jesus was the light in the world and then he commissioned us to take that light and then what we have is called the Great Commission of the last words of Jesus before he went back to heaven. It's found in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In the Greek language that this was originally written in, the Greek word there is ethnos. Uh, Take it to all ethnicities, all ethnic groups. Take it globally, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This last month in September, we saw 18 people follow Jesus in baptism, 112 so far this year, and we will obey this command until Jesus returns. That will be the, the heartbeat of this church, having people made right with God, but then also teaching them, it says, and after you baptize them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so with those words, Jesus launched the greatest movement in world history. I just can't resist. It's just so great to, to see you young adults here on the front rows. I'm talking about you deacons on the front row too. The bright young faces here, just very exciting to me. And, and you know, the greatest thing in life is to sell out to a cause bigger than yourself. It is how life is fun. Don't settle for a life of just good times and living for yourself. And and don't get me wrong, I'm all for good times, okay? You saw me at the Colts game, okay? It's not all all business. It's fun. But you know what people do? They tend to latch on to things because we have this desire in our hearts to to be part of something bigger than ourselves, Why do people become such crazy fans of NFL teams? And I'm a fan. I mean, it's God's will when it's the Green Bay Packers. It's shallow and meaningless when it's anything else. But for the Packers, it's God. No, but I'm telling you, why do people like love? And don't get me wrong. I think that's great. They do it because we feel this need to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Why do people get all wrapped up in a political candidate? And don't get me wrong. I think Christians should be fully involved in the political process. But why do they think she or he will change our world for the good and, and, and we're all in? And don't get me wrong. I love being involved in all that. But you know what? It's because inside of us, we have this hunger to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And it's okay to do those things. But the biggest cause of all The biggest cause of all is the cause of Jesus Christ. And sell out to that cause and die to yourself to that cause and you will have the greatest adventure you could ever imagine. Um, How many of you junior hires or high schoolers? How many of you like history? Do I have any that like, oh yes, yes. Okay, this one's for you. For the rest of you, I'll be done in a minute or two, okay? But Pastor Adrian, your junior high pastor, he just got back uh, from being in, in Germany uh, uh, for about, what, 10 days or something like that in Germany. And he just comes back from a trip in Germany. And he was telling me Friday night he got to go to Nuremberg. Now, to an old guy like me, Nuremberg is where these trials took place of the Nazi war criminals after World War II. And so they had these big trials of these people who had been so big and so important and had so much power uh, before World War II or during World War II, now were subjected to trial, and many of them were executed or they were imprisoned, but they were certainly shamed uh, as regard, regard to the Nazi cause that they had been a part of. And, and you know, it, it got to me thinking about World War II, is that, you know, if you were a private 
in the winning side, the allied armies of Britain and Russia and, and France and the United States, if you were a, a, a corporal or a private on the winning side, you came home proud as could be. I mean, my dad, I can't even remember what rank he, he was, but he was something super low, okay? But he came back so proud because he had been part of this thing bigger than himself. And so you think to yourself, which would be better, to be a Nazi, a Nazi general or to be a private in the allied forces? It'd be better to be a private. And so don't, don't try to be a general or a colonel in a movement that's going to fail in the end. Don't be high up in some cause that really is going to blow up in the end and be meaningless and disgraced. Be even a private in God's movement, the movement of Jesus Christ, and you will have that joy of knowing that you are part of something bigger than yourself that changed the world. Now, uh, along with being the biggest movement in history and the fastest growing and the most widespread and pervasive, it has also been the greatest force for good. And I just want to give you the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg on this. There are just tens of thousands of examples I could give, but let me just give you a sampling. First of all, in the area of medicine. See, in the early church, one of the things they became known for is there would be these plagues that would come through the Roman Empire and wipe out like a third of the population, just destroy huge amounts of the population of the Roman Empire. So everybody who had money and resources, they all fled the cities into the foothills. But the Christians were the ones, even if they had the resources to escape the city, they're the ones that stayed in the cities and ministered to the people, even though sometimes they themselves caught the plague and would actually sometimes die from it. And so an early church leader by the name of Dionysius writes, Heedless of the danger, they, these early Christians, took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains." And it's been like that for 2,000 years. Recently, when the Ebola uh, outbreak happened in Africa, you know who was dying on the front lines of that? Usually it was followers of Jesus Christ. And you'd read the Christian testimonies of these doctors and nurses that they went there, just like the early Christians, because of love for the people, because of the love of Christ, because they were part of something bigger than themselves. Our church supported, uh, through the American Baptist for years, a missionary by the name of Dr. Dan Fountain. And my wife, Kimberly, and I knew Dan Fountain and his wife because his his dad had been my predecessor, uh, one of my predecessors at the church in Homer, New York, that I pastored. And he was at the forefront of the fight against AIDS in Africa. When it first broke out in Zaire, Dr. Dan Fountain and his team of Christ followers, they were the tip of the sword in the fight against the global epidemic uh, in the developing world of AIDS. Right within our own church family, our executive pastor, Peter Torrey, uh, one of the leaders, Peter and Jure Torrey, and a team of, uh, from their um, Route 66 uh, Sunday school class, uh, they're, they're a team of them were one of the, four, the forefront of AIDS prevention in the developing world. And, that, and that's the way it has been through history. Uh, it's said at the Council of Nyssa, an early church council, wherever there's going to be a major church, a cathedral, there has to be a hospice, a place where the sick and the poor can be cared for. Uh, just this past Thursday, Pastor Sham and I uh, went out to lunch with Dr. Ashraf Basilius, and he is the teacher of the Arabic Bible study we have here on Wednesday nights. And I've heard he is a phenomenal Bible teacher, just 
awesome. The only problem is you got to know Arabic in order to go to his Bible study, okay? And I've been dying to go to that Bible study, but I probably wouldn't get a whole lot out of it. So at any rate, any of you speak Arabic, it is just considered one of the top Bible studies on our, on our campus. Just awesome. And this guy is like so cool. He, he's part of this person that they, they want to kill him because he beams broadcasts about Jesus into the Middle East. And he's one of those guys that has a price on his head um, in, in the Muslim world because of his preaching about Jesus into the Middle East by radio. And he also, catch this, he was pastor of a church of 250 people in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. That is a mega church, I guarantee you, in the United Arab Emirates, right in the heart of, of the Muslim world. Here he was a pastor of a church of two to three, two to three hundred people. And he told me a story Thursday over lunch. He talked about a mission hospital that was there in Dubai. It was very similar to one we've supported through the years in Abbottabad, um, Pakistan, with Dr. Luke Cuthero, my buddy that I ran track with at Wheaton, as well as Priscilla Constantine from our church. We've supported this mission's hospital in one way or another uh, through the years there outside of Islamabad, Pakistan. And there's a very similar one by Team Missions, the Evangelical Alliance Mission. And it was in Dubai. And, and here's this Christian, blatantly Christian hospital operating in Dubai, which is now this unbelievable wealthy city, spectacular city. I think that's the one, isn't it, where Tom Cruise is on the high tower? I think that's Dubai or whatever. I know everything by Tom Cruise movies. That's how I know my geography. And so, at any rate, um, just, just um, at any rate, they have this Christian hospital there. And the government completely protects them, says, you don't touch them. Don't. T- I know they're a Christian hospital. I know they're blatant Christian. Leave them alone. They are under our protection. And they went to the government and said, why are you so good to us? Why do you protect us in this way? Here's what they said. They said, you showed up before oil was discovered in the United Arab Emirates. You showed up when we were still poor. You showed up when we were nomadic tribes uh, in living in tents in the desert. You showed up when we were poor and provided our medical needs. And so now that oil has come, and now that we are rich, we never forget what you did because you came when we were poor. We're going to protect you now that we're rich. And this has been the pattern uh, throughout the body of Christ uh, throughout the, the centuries. Education. The fact is that the phenomenon of education for the masses has its roots in Christianity. Nor is this to say that there wasn't education before Christianity, but it was for the elite only. Christianity gave rise to the concept of education for everyone. Legal reforms. I love this one. Many permanent legal reforms were set in motion by Emperors Constantine and Justinian that can be laid to the influence of Christianity. Licentious and cruel sports were checked. That is, the early Christians were concerned that the concussion protocol was followed. I got some NFL fans here. You knew what I was talking about. I was just seeing if you were listening, if you were awake. I mean, isn't that awesome? Okay. That the early church, one of their passions was that the gladiators, which were basically just slaves thrown into the Colosseum to be butchered for the enjoyment of the crowds. Christians were the ones that said, those guys have rights also. And so that ethic comes all the way to the United States and is concerned about when your favorite NFL player gets his bell rung this afternoon. That all comes. I mean, before Jesus, there was no sense of charity. There was no sense of organized charity. That's all a Jesus thing. All these things we take for granted was not here before the light of the world came into the world and before the light bearers went out into the world to share that light wherever we went. 
New legislation was ordered to protect the slave, the prisoner, the mutilated man, the outcast woman. Children were granted important legal rights. Infant exposure was abolished. Women were raised from a status of degradation to that of legal protection. Hospitals and orphanages were created to take care of foundlings. Personal feuds and private wars were put under restraint. Children. Abortion disappeared in the early church. Infanticide and abandonment disappeared. The cry went out to bring the children to church, foundling homes, orphanages. I mean, our two boys were adopted from a Christian orphanage in Cali, Colombia. John and Andrew, our oldest sons, now what, 32 and 30 or something around there. I should, I'm the worst father of the year. I know, okay, I'm 60. I can't remember the ages of my kids. Okay, anyway. They were in a Christian orphanage. That's where we got our boys, John and Andrew, when they were seven and eight. Foundling homes, orphanages, and nursery homes were started to house the children. These new practices, based on this higher view of life, helped to create a foundation in Western civilization for an ethic of human life that persists to this day. The elderly, I am so interested in this now. Way more interesting. If I preached this two weeks ago, whatever, now it's like, ooh, let's pay attention. Throughout history, many tribes and peoples killed off their elderly, much as they have killed off their unwanted babies. Prior to Christ, the value of the elderly was determined by the particular custom of each tribe. With Christ, all human life has value, including that of the elderly. And everybody over 60 said, amen. Praise God for that. Now, this continues today. This has been true for 2,000 years, and it continues more today than at any other time in history. Mother Teresa wrote, Today, God has sent us into the world as he sent Jesus to show God's love to the world, and we must sacrifice to show that love just as Jesus made the greatest sacrifice of all. 